You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of crafting one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. Hi, my name is Nadia Chetiar. I'm going to talk about episode 514, A Free Scratcher and Feminine Wiles from Young Sheldon. Nadia Chetiar started out as a stage actor and had the rare opportunity of touring as far away as Iran before discovering her true passion lay off the stage and behind the camera. She began her writing career in her native Canada, working for hit comedies such as Netflix's Kim's Convenience and Workin' Moms. After relocating to LA, Nadia landed her first US gig as executive story editor on Life in Pieces. She then moved on to the star-studded animated series Housebroken before returning to her stage roots in multicam form on Mom. She's currently a writer-producer on Young Sheldon, where she enjoys writing for one of the best ensembles on TV. Nadia also loves playing basketball and hitting the beach with her pooch, Pee-wee. In Young Sheldon Season 5, Episode 14, Sheldon butts heads with Dr. Lee, a new scientist in the lab. His mother Mary, a devout Southern Baptist, grapples with what to do when she's given a lotto ticket. I came on to Young Sheldon in season five, so this is my first season, first time learning this process. And in some ways it's very different and in some ways it's very similar. And one of the ways that is very similar to every show I've worked on is you begin the season with a blue sky, you know, you're just starting to think about what could happen. I should add this season actually did pick up moments after the end of season four. So we sort of had the start of it, but anyway, Going forward after the premiere episode, we were doing this story generation and landing on stories and getting those stories approved and writing them. And at the end of every script that we've written, you start that process again. Even though you've already sort of dumped all of these story ideas and it's like, what about the 20 that we didn't do? You still start that process again. I think it's because you're pitching to your showrunners who've been in the business for so many years and there's nothing better than hearing something for the first time, like the freshness of a new idea can just carry more energy than something that's already been sort of kicking around. Not that we don't ever pull those old ideas out because inevitably we do <laughs> because they're good ideas, but especially early on in the process, in the season, you'll probably be doing a lot more frequent blue sky or come in with ideas kind of story generation. And so this episode was one of those times where I knew we were coming to another point of needing to come up with stories. I'd been on the show for a couple months now or a few months now. And so I had like heard and noticed what was landing with them at this point. And one thing that we had created in season five is this gambling storyline for Meemaw. Sheldon's grandmother, she buys a laundromat as a business and mostly buys it because there's a illegal gambling room in the back and that's what she likes about it. So we had this undercurrent of this gambling world and Mary, Sheldon's mom and Mima's daughter is very religious, Southern Baptist, very, 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 I didn't know this until the show. The like almost number one thing that Southern Baptists will never do is gamble. It's like the biggest wrong they can commit or sin, I guess is the proper word. So 
I was at home and it's like one of those things that's like literally in the bathroom in the morning, getting ready to go and knowing that I should have some stories in my pocket. You know, you don't, if you don't have them, you don't have to kill yourself for them, but you always want to be the one coming in with a good idea, right? To offer any idea, I guess. In this instance, I didn't really have anything. And all of a sudden it just struck me like, what if Mary has one of those lotto scratcher ticket addictions? Like not addiction, but like, what if she has a vice? What if she has something that we don't know about? And it actually goes against everything that she's been playing where she's been telling everybody how wrong gambling is. So that was the seed of the idea that I came in with that we find out that she has this vice and that she's sort of sneaking it. And the episode would be about her dealing with that or like someone finding out or something. And Again, like it's sort of a, it's a springboard. It, it was, I didn't have to have the second and third act all beat it out. It was just like, here's a spark of an idea. So I brought it in and pitched it to the room. The room at this point, because we were pretty deeply into production, was being run by the second in command, Steve Holland. He took that to our showrunner, Steve Malaro, and Steve liked it. And then they take it to Chuck, who approves it, Chuck Laurie who approves all of our stories before we get to work on them. And so that one made it through and which was, you know, just a nice little boon for me. And we got to work and of course it changed a lot. And the story ends up not being that she had a vice. The story ends up being that she sort of falls into having this ticket in her possession. And the cool, cool, cool thing about this one is that, and the reason maybe I want to talk about it, what I didn't know is that the show is set in 1992 and we were literally writing the spring because it were very, conscious of like school years and stuff like that so we always know like what time of year we're writing the spring of 1992 happened to be when in texas they legalized scratcher tickets like the lotto actually came into being at that time it was this really great intersection of like truth and fiction and we got to pull from that and play with it and that made it even more fun we begin story breaking by just going to the whiteboard and putting up what my showrunner Steve Malaro likes to call shit that can happen. And we're really just like listing it off like, oh, it could be a scene where Mary buys a scratcher ticket at a gas station. And because we had this historical stuff like, oh, maybe we start with a news clip where the governor is actually signing this into law. Like maybe that's something we have in the episode. Maybe Sheldon finds her with the scratcher and is into it. You know, like these are not the real things. I'm like doing a very poor job of coming up with stuff. But that's words. Like that's what you would hear in our room. We'd be just throwing up ideas of what could happen in that particular story. We always have more than one story in an episode. We would do one story at a time and then begin to weave them together. So you'd sort of end up with two different columns per story of like lists of things that could happen. You kind of sense the excitement around certain things that could happen versus others. Like if there's a real move in it, like in this particular story, because it was about gambling and because Mary was all very high and mighty towards her mother when she found out she was running this gambling room. So we knew like, oh, well, there should be a meeting. Where, like Mima should have something to say about this. So Mima finds out that Mary's been gambling is gonna be a great scene. So let's definitely do that, for example. As I say that, I don't even remember if that ended up in the episode or not. Like, that's a good idea. Uh, but you know, it just goes to show that the process really shapes the episode. So like, as we're going through it, even though, Mima confronts Mary might have felt like a really strong idea on day one when we're doing this shit that can happen. 
it inevitably can easily fall out of the episode as we craft it and it just feels like, oh, but actually this feels like a George and Mary story. And this feels more about like how families manage money and how they deal with the feelings of wanting something and not having it and so on and so forth, which I believe was the case with this episode. Once we have all the ideas on the board, we'll start to get a sense of where we want it to start. Like what seems like a dynamic beginning? What seems like a fun way to start the episode is generally what drives it. Unless we have like a really important dramatic story arc point that we're picking up and we know that we need to start the episode like that in order to get the characters on this journey. But in general, like the average episode, we try to start with a fun and punchy cold open that just draws people in. And often we try to put Sheldon in that because the show is called Young Sheldon and people want to know what they're watching when they tune in at eight o'clock or whatever. This episode actually ended up starting not on Mary's story, but on Sheldon's story. And it had a really, really fun intro where in Sheldon's story, we were looking at his two mentors sort of being combative partners in the lab, but that what Sheldon was realizing is that their best work was coming out of them fighting. And so it was him sort of using that to his advantage, like their disagreements. So we started with this really funny opener, and this all came from my showrunner, Steve Malaro. I absolutely remember him coming in with the idea, and it was a good idea, and it definitely went in the episode. I mean, his ideas always end up in the episode, but this one was like, yeah, that's exciting and a really fun way to start it. And basically, it started with going through historical antagonists like in science, basically people who didn't get along and people who did fight. And then it cuts to the two professors who are played by... Ed Begley Jr. and Wallace Shawn in a boxing ring and like literally in a boxing ring like with their shirt and ties and like boxing shorts on and the gloves and everything. It's a mock opening to a regular boxing match where they show those stats and their stats are about like their pub their papers published and like their bedtimes and stuff like that, which is it's all very funny and silly. And then it goes into the lab and you see how they're fighting and you see how Sheldon is using that to his advantage. And that's the opening of the show. And it was really fun, punchy way to start. So this was a COVID season, but we started in that sweet spot where it was the summer of 2021 and it was, we worked for a month on Zoom and then we got to go back onto the lot. And I remember that first week there, we were working indoors without masks and then a week into it, Delta started to become a thing. So we were all wearing masks for the rest of the season. But I had the good fortune of working in four Zoom rooms over the course of the pandemic and some of them were, they're all different, like any room, they're all different. And some of them worked much better than others. And I mean, it really depended on people's home setups and how invested they got in that and their tolerance for wearing earbuds all day or, or what have, you know, for sitting at home all day. In the case of young Sheldon, there was a real drive, like from the top to go in back into the room, which was totally fine by me. And it actually, in this case, I think also because it's all group written, the show is 100% group written. It worked a lot better to be in person and it made the process so much more fun. The one thing that you miss in a Zoom room is the sort of downtime banter that just happens because people staring at each other across the table and so you need something to fill the air. You mean that just all went away on Zoom pretty much. Like there was so much less of that. There was more watching people fold their laundry, which was interesting in a different way, but there was a lot less time spent just shooting the shit. And I don't know, is that an important part of the process? 
I think it must be. I think it must be. It certainly makes the work day more fun. I think it does help build trust and camaraderie. And this show in particular is not a, like, we don't have to be talking about our darkest, deepest secrets in order to write Young Sheldon, but it is really fun to get to know the people that you're there with. And there is a reason that we all ended up there. There's something that brings people like us together and plants us in writing rooms. And so it is really fun to just know who you're working with. Young Sheldon is 100% group written. And by that, I mean that we come up with the ideas together. I mean, the ideas obviously come from our individual brains. And we might actually build on each other's ideas. But as soon as we land on the idea we're going to pursue, that process of throwing stuff on the board to determine what's going to be in the episode, that happens as a group. The ordering it, in other words, beating out the episode act by act, that happens in a group. And then when we're done that, and we're ready to write, my boss will turn to the show coordinator and say fade in. And we just switch right over to a final draft doc and we start writing the script. So this show is really unique. Yeah. In that we don't outline. We actually write from a beat sheet. And most of the time we don't beat out the third act. So we start writing before we know how this episode's going to end. And, you know, before I ever worked in a group writing room, I don't think... I could have imagined what it was. And the way group writing works is the boss will start by describing the scene. There'll be some conversation around like, okay, where are they? Oh, they're in the kitchen. Oh, maybe Mary's doing dishes. Okay, I mean, that is a horrible pitch. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe Mary isn't doing dishes for once. (laughs) Maybe she's doing something that she loves at the kitchen table. I don't know. But in other words, we sort of begin to talk about what could be happening where they could be, that is dictated and put onto the page. And then the dialogue begins and you're really just literally pitching on every line. Send on the line is just yes. And, and that ends up being the right line. And it's such an unusual process, even to me, now that I've worked on a couple shows that are group written, I still feel like, how do we do it? I'm not actually, it's, I guess it kind of is a lot like that the rest of the time that we spend bantering. And now we're sort of just bantering about the script and that is getting scripted in a way. We'll hit a point where we know there needs to be a joke, like there should be a joke here, like that it feels that way. Or somebody's already pitched one and that's gone in. But when we come to a point of a joke, then we might pitch a few more lines. It's not like so free flow where it's like typing everything that gets said. Then it becomes very much like any other comedy writing room I've ever been in, except we're writing a joke that's not on the page yet. We're just pitching at what could be funny or to get out of a scene. What would be a funny way to get out of the scene? But I guess I should say, Well, no, it's not 100% of the time, but sometimes we'll have a discussion about the shape of the scene, meaning where we want it to start and what we want to accomplish and what we want at the end. That doesn't always happen, though. Sometimes we literally just start writing and see what happens. Yeah, it's a very intuitive process, that's for sure. An exercise in group intuition, (laughs) if such a thing exists. (laughs) And sometimes it can be frustrating because we just don't seem to be finding it. Sometimes it can just be like, it can feel like a stalled sort of, you know, like you just can't get the engine running, but that's like any writing. Yeah. At the best of times, it is really fun and it happens really fast. I think that's where it comes from. I mean, I think 
Chuck Lorre shows have been working this way for many, many, many years. I've only worked on two, both were group written and both in a very different style of group writing. It is very efficient. And I think that's why it's, it's so enduring in this Chuck Lorre universe. It's still kind of mysterious to me too. I think I still have a preference towards getting to go home at the end of the day with the outline to write a script. I think my preference, and I haven't actually really worked in a room like this, is a would be a hybrid. And I know this exists, where you group write the outline and you get it to a really, really solid place with all the brains working on it. And then the writer gets to take that outline and gets to have that time of making it feel like their own and getting that sense, yeah, that sense of ownership over it, that that's a really nice experience too. <laughs> One thing that was interesting about this particular story is that sort of was mock outlining it for you. It really felt, at least in my head, and of course, like in any writing room, like the story is kind of existing in each writer's head, or that's my experience. I'm assuming that's what's happening for everyone else. And then it's also getting created outside of you. It may not always match up. And eventually it becomes a story that it is. And you see it as plainly as anybody else can see it. And you're like, okay, that's the story. So for me, the story in my head was very much, or was leaning more towards Mary and her mother, who she had already sort of had been giving such a hard time to about the gambling and everything. So but what it became was a story about Mary and, and her husband and her family and her household, but in particular, Mary and George, her husband. What we sort of stumbled upon is they're promoting the lotto because it's new in Texas and she's given one at the gas station and she's paying for her gas. It's just a free thing they're giving them out to everybody. She doesn't want to take it, but because the gas station attendant is going to scratch it himself, she decides she's going to save him from his sin and take it and she takes it. She throws it in the garbage at home and her daughter finds it and starts to scratch it and she finds her scratching it and she takes it away from her. When she finds it half scratched, she sees that of the three scratchable boxes, two of them already been scratched and they both say $500. So she's seduced enough by that. She needs to know anybody would want to know. She scratches and yes, it's a winning ticket. So now she's sort of got this thing over her head of like, what is the right thing to do now? Like, now I know that this is money. Like, should I just go give it to the church or should? And then when George, her husband, comes in that conversation, his opinion is that it should be for the family and that she should feel okay with being able to allow herself a little win like that. So conversation, because he's not as strongly a man of faith as she is, you know, it really was about their values and which is super interesting to me the way people will come into a marriage and make a family and you know spend the rest of their lives trying to get their values to align basically it's not <laughs> you know and trying to figure out how to agree with one another so that's what the story became and that was not in my head and i think it is a great story to tell and the story found itself there is not a lot of rewriting in our show well because my showrunner spend so much time on set once production is up and running and we do the writing largely without him, we produce a draft in the room and that goes to him and he rewrites sometimes with a smaller room, you know, with his second in command or with another EP, but generally the room does not do any rewriting after the first draft is produced on this show. And that's unusual. One thing about television is that 
it's really prolific in that, especially comedy, I think, even more so in multicams. Like, it's really prolific in that we produce a lot of drafts of every single episode. That's one thing that's unique about this show. The only person that we receive notes from is Chuck Lorre himself. That is one of the absolute perks of working in the Chuck Lorre universe because sometimes there are so many different voices giving notes and to actually get a cohesive sense of what everybody wants can take up so much of the writing time. So we don't have to deal with that, which is a real beauty, a real gift. And his notes go directly to my showrunner and my showrunner generally deals with them. The other thing to note is that this is a season five show. So in the earlier seasons, there would have been a lot more time spent noting and rewriting and stuff like that with Chuck. But at this point, it's kind of a well-oiled machine. And I think my showrunner, Steve Malaro and Chuck Lorre have been working together for over a decade. There's such a shorthand there. So it all happens really fast and they just do it together. Chuck Lorre is at any given moment, probably looking at five scripts for five different shows. I have no idea what his daily life might be like because I can't imagine what it would be like to have so many shows on the air at one time. I can hardly imagine it would be like to have one. I mean, it's so much, it's such an enormous job. And he's literally spinning five plates at the same time. I don't know exactly what it's like on other shows, but because sometimes we're waiting to hear from him, we get word that, oh, Chuck's over at US of L and they're doing a rewrite. So he's going to be there for hours. And so we know that we won't be able to get our story approved for, you know, half the day or something like that. Or, oh, Chuck's over at a run through for B positive. So we know he's going to be gone over. So his involvement in our show is certainly he's approving every story and giving notes on every script. And then at times he does come in and write. That generally happens with the EPs, like the higher ups. So I haven't personally been a part of that. And that's unique. I think that that happened maybe with a little bit more frequency this season because of COVID, because of the nature of COVID sort of slowing some things down. And so he may have found that he had a day to write. And so they would grab him and write with him. And that's how that would work. So it's it's like a hard thing to schedule. It's something that like, oh, by chance he's here, let's do it. And it'll happen really instantaneously and then they'll be off doing that. So he's very much involved, but he's also very much involved in all of his shows. So involved as someone can be when they're also involved in five other shows. <laughs> I wasn't around for the creation of the show, but Chuck and Steve created together, Steve Malaro. And I've heard stories about that. I know that Jim Parsons had the idea for the show and approached them with it. And they pitched it and got it approved. I mean, I'm I'm now I'm not even sure the timeline of things. I do know that Steve Malaro and Chuck Lorre wrote the pilot together. And I think they did a beautiful job. It's a really, really lovely pilot. Really drew me in personally. Chuck Lorre is always very involved in the in the premiere season, the first season of any show. And then sometimes he's very involved in the second and third and you know. These are stories that I've heard because I've worked only on season five of Young Sheldon and season eight of Mom. So I was like many seasons away from the seasons that Chuck would have been in there getting his hands dirty with everything, you know, and spending many, many more hours. Once the show is up and running and like everyone's kind of figured it out, 
he's certainly still there as a guide. He's still there. Like I said, he's still there writing episodes sometimes when he has the time, but he might focus more on his more uh, nascent projects because they need more of his energy, let's say. <laughs> First experience group writing was on mom and it was a very different experience because they had a really unique way of working where they divided the room in half. So we were always working with a smaller group. I think we were 12 writers. So it was sort of like we were six and six and each smaller room would be working on an episode. If one room is doing 501, the other one's doing 502, for example. You're coming up with a story, you're getting the story approved, and then you're writing the outline, which we don't do on Young Sheldon. So you're looking at a blank document. And again, you know, you're sort of taking the lead from your showrunner, in which case on Mom, there were two. We had Nick Bakai running one room and Gemma Baker running the other. So you're listening for Gemma or Nick to start. And it's literally, in the case of outlining, it's literally like Bonnie enters and walks to the kitchen. You know, you're, you're literally dictating word by word, sentence by sentence, which was like such a strange experience for the first time for me. It's like, I mean, outlining in general, uh, in any room, like where people are getting really nitpicky about like periods and commas and stuff. Like, it's just such a really strange thing to me that we do that in a way. I get it when we get into dialogue because then it really matters. We're trying to make sure it is on the page that we hear it in our head. But yeah, so we're, we're literally dictating a document. And I think especially on mom, because I was new there, I really sat back and sort of watched it happen. And then we have an outline and that would be sent to the other room, the other mini room. They would give us notes the next morning. We'd all join as a big room and we'd hear their notes. We'd go back into our little room and decide which notes we wanted to take. It was really nice in that way too. It wasn't like we were ever being forced or into any direction. We, as a group would decide what felt right. And then once we had that outline, that outline would go to Chuck for approvals. And then we would start writing. And yeah, it was very nerve wracking the first time. And, you know, maybe every time to a certain degree, but I think that's true of even when I'm just writing by myself, every time you sit down in front of the blank page, you're a little bit like, what's going to happen here? You know, until you kind of fall into some kind of rhythm with yourself and then the words are just flowing or the decisions are just being made much more quickly and naturally. And then it's just sort of happening in front of you. And that's sort of the same thing with the group writing. It at its best, you know, you really fall into a flow and like, it's just, sometimes it's just words. Like sometimes it's like you have the best word for the middle of this sentence. And that is like, that's going in because it, a comedy is so dependent on using the best words. Sometimes it's like not even just because the best word can make a joke that's okay. Actually really funny. It's these little adjustments can be really valuable. He was like, wow, I got one word on the page, but geez, it made that joke a lot funnier. So I guess that's a good day's work. I don't know, but that's really the job. Yeah. It's always nerve wracking when you're starting. And then at some point you kind of forget yourself and you just get focused on the work. Because this was a COVID season, the writers were really removed from production because we were getting to work in person, which was great, but we were really like a very much our own little beehive. I literally saw the same, like maybe 15 people all season long. Meanwhile, there's like 200 people <laughs> over on the lot somewhere making the show. And I didn't really get to be a part of that, unfortunately, until 
the writing was done because the production is happening at the same time that we're writing. We couldn't sneak away either. But once writing was done, I was able to go and spend some time on set with just sort of shadowing my showrunner. And that was really great. But because it's COVID from we were on set, but in a separate room and watching our own feed. So normally you would be on set and watching a feed from a like a location very, very near set called uh, video village where they have monitors and you listen through headsets and you're very quiet when they're taking when they're doing the takes so this was an approximation of that where they just had us in the building but like enclosed in our own four wall room where we couldn't cross contaminate because they were monitoring you know they had us all zoned off and you could only interact with the people within your zone and your zones determined how frequently you were being tested. And so all of that was like very strictly observed with good reason. So I did get to go. And the nice thing about getting to shadow my showrunner is like, you just get to be there listening to his notes and listening to his thoughts as he's watching the takes happen. The other nice thing is that you actually get to watch the actors act, not that they're not acting in the show what that you see on TV, but you get to see them try it multiple times and that's really fun and you get a deeper sense of what they're capable of and you just get to hear their voice in a different way or you see their face in a different way or you just see them trying things and experimenting, which is really inspiring. It makes you excited about what you're doing, like writing for them. I also got to, this is sort of flipping channels, but I also got to go to set on mom. And that was sort of earlier in the COVID-ness of it all. We may have been one of the first writing rooms to actually get to like fully all as a team be on set. And that's because during the writing of season eight, near the end of it, we found out that it was going to be the last season. They pulled all these strings and like, you know, we all got tested 15 extra times and got to go to set for the final episode shooting. And that was a huge, I mean, that was so exciting for me because one of the first specs I ever wrote was a mom spec and I wrote it while I was doing a UCLA extension class. (laughs) Um, So it was mind blowing to have watched the show, you know, studied the show like eight or nine years previous. And, or I guess it would have been about eight years previous because it was after season one had come out. And, you know, just like looking at Christie's apartment and like the kitchen and like looking at the the community center where they did the AA meetings on the show and studying it and then looking at it in your own brain as you write it. And then to be sitting there as they're shooting the last episode ever, it was just like, oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening and I was such a huge Allison Janney fan like they could not believe I was in the same space I, I mean mom was also special in that they gave us monitors at home in our home for everybody to supply with the monitor so we could watch the quad and we could our showrunners were on set and we would be on zoom with them how are we doing this yeah we were on zoom watching the quad on another screen and so it was sort of like we were recreating the experience of actually being there as writers and we would get to pitch jokes and it was just so amazing to pitch jokes these these are like some of the funniest women on tv and to see it happening before you and to see a joke land and alice and jane oh my god it was just an amazing i don't think i finished any one of those sentences i just said i got so excited retelling the story but (laughs) 
my humble beginnings were taking some of the classes here and that was a game changer for me. It was the first time that things just started to click. I worked with a great teacher, Lisa Rosenthal, who is, I don't think teaching at UC Extension anymore, but anyway, she was amazing. And yeah, these classes really was game changer for me. I listened to so many more of the, these podcasts when I was coming up to and taking these classes and the podcasts were really meaningful to me too. It just makes it feel a lot more possible. The way I approach writing is that any time I interact with it, I'm hoping to learn something more about it. And so that's when I sit down to write by myself. That's when I listen to podcasts about writing or take classes. And that's the same thing when I go to work. And one of the muscles that I'm really using when I'm group writing is my collaborative muscles. Like the muscles that remind you or like that are there to like get you to listen to other people and to support other people. And that is one of my favorite things about both shows, Mom and Young Sheldon, where we've done group writing, have been so collaborative and so supportive. It's like, of course I want to be doing this. It feels really good because the job can sometimes be really competitive and there can be this environment of besting where like, I want my joke to be better than yours or my story to be better than yours. or, And I'm attributing it to the, to the group writing, the group mindset right now but i never made that connection until now and maybe it's true or not i don't know but being like the best collaborator you can be i think is going to make your job more fun it's going to make the job fun for everybody else who's there doing it with you and it's just going to make your day better because at the end of the day <laughs> my sister hates that expression and now anytime i hear it i'm like trying to edit it out of my vocabulary too <laughs> Um, because really everybody who wants to be a writer wants to get to work as a writer and get to get that opportunity to get paid as to be a writer. But I think having a nice life is also a really good goal and having a nice workplace is a really good goal too. And so, yes, you want to be the best that you can be, but I think being the best that you can be is all about being able to work with other people especially in this industry, it's sort of designed to, you know, promote people's successes. And you can get lost in the fact that like, having a really nice work day is, oh God, so much better than anything like any, any other form of success, I think. Bits of advice to share are to just always keep learning about writing, whether or not that's like, reading books or taking classes, or meeting up and talking with other writers, i.e. having a writing group, however it works best for you. For me, it was always taking classes and I took another UCLA extension class where I met my writing group and we've been functioning as a group for like three, going on four years now. And it's that is one of the best things that has ever happened to me as a writer is having those people who are I trust who are invested in my work and I'm invested in their work. And it's that thing about networking sort of laterally, even though it's not like I'm relying on them to get me jobs, but I do, we keep each other in it because it's such a mental game and it, it's not easy. It's certainly a journey. It's a mountain that you're climbing. And so having people that keep stoking your fires of belief in yourself is probably the most important thing to strategize around. 
I absolutely think that CLA Extension is one of the best things that has kept me going throughout this journey. The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. The Writer's Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.